I am glad you're here. It's okay if you're yawning. It's okay. It's early. I'm going to keep my eye on you. So. I'm yawning a little bit myself. I, I, I snuck out. I've got a confession to make. I went and saw um, my daughter swim in Tennessee. And, I, and American Airlines, I, nothing against American Airlines. But American Airlines and a storm system got me in about 3.30 this morning. And so, oh. Uh, so, but it's funny. I was sitting there in the airport in Charlotte, just watching these waves, bands of rains come in, and planes. The plane we were supposed to be on got diverted someplace else, and, and I was saying, you know, I'm just gonna maybe we could just hit the switch and play the feed from. And I thought, no, I can't do that because God wants this message to be heard this morning. And so, you know, th- there's a lot of things going on in our church. There's a lot of things going on in our community. Obviously, we just talked about the holiday season that's upon us. I love seeing all the activity going on out there with regards to the season of hope and, and the way you've responded with a heart that is so compassionate for this community and this neighborhood. It, it just warms my soul. And so th- that's going on. We got a new building project that's just about ready to get moving. And I saw some really neat plans and designs for that. And I'm, we're just so excited that our kids and youth are going to have a really special place to be able to meet. And then over here, they've now got the construction fencing up over here uh, at the former ACU campus. And, and there's going to be 500 apartments that are going to be going in over there. That's 500 family units, 500 targets for us, literally right across the street, right? Amen. And so um, there's just a lot of things happening. And it's funny, when we get busy, sometimes things happen to us that kind of, wait a minute, get us back on track. And I had one of those moments happen for me a couple months ago. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you're going to hear a little bit of what we talked about last week, but I think I've got a, a little different not different, but the takeaway I was planning was the cliffhanger I wanted you to come back for today for. And so that something that happened, I'm going to pray about right now. And so let's pray as a family before we get into the word. Lord, we are thankful for the busyness of this season. Um, but Lord, within that busyness, we sometimes lose sight of you. And so Lord, may this be a moment in which you're reminded that You are alive, and you desire to know us. You desire us to walk with you. You desire us to fall deeper in love with you, and you desire us to know your truth. And your truth comes with so many advantages, this side of heaven, that we get to live a life that is pleasing to you, but also live a life that has purpose and meaning. And and so, Lord, I pray that this message would be a message in which we would find purpose and meaning in today. And Lord, they would cause us to fall deeper in love with you. And so Lord, may these words today be your words that you wanted heard this morning. And so Lord, we give you the praise here. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said last week, and so for for some of you, you didn't hear this, but so in the busyness of my life, all of a sudden, my old friend Pete Evans from Wales, who was here for a few years as our minister in training, came back to town and he kind of told us, a group of us, we had a meeting back uh, in the bunker one night and he told us what he was up to. And what he's up to is he's planted a church in Manchester, England. And within that church, there's a lot of really cool things going on. He told us a lot about those cool things, but he said, I want to kind of transport you to Manchester for just a moment. So he played a video for us that kind of showed us the hustle and 
bustle of the city. And, and when he did that, it was like the chamber of commerce. There's flashy music and people moving all over the place and just a lot of action and activity going on. And so he asked, well, hey, what's your impression of Manchester? And I said, wow, it looks booming. I mean, there's cranes, there's building going on, there's redevelopment happening. There just seemed to be a lot of life there. And he said, you're absolutely right. He said, uh, it's become kind of the second most populated city in England, and he said that people are investing large amounts of money in there, and there's just some really incredible things that are going on there. But he said, the one thing you missed amongst all of that was, he said, if the trumpet was to sound today, 98% of those people you saw in that video would be separated from Jesus. And it was in that moment that I got slapped in the face, and I thought to myself, I forget about the trumpet. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard about the trumpet, the trumpet sound. And I'm going to share a little bit about that because I, I want to just help us get on the same page with regards to the trumpet sound. And there's a time in which Jesus says he is going to return to earth. And he told his disciples that. And, and I don't know if they fully believed it until they saw him rise from the dead. And as Andy Stanley, a favorite pastor of mine, says, he says, if a man can predict his death and resurrection and pull it off, you probably ought to listen to him. And so Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me. And he says, I'm coming back to gather those who believe with me. And I think the disciples woke up every single morning saying, is this going to be the day? Well, maybe not today. Maybe it's tomorrow or maybe it's next week. But I think there was a sense of urgency that they knew Jesus was going to come back. In fact, they probably thought he was coming back before they were going to die. Because they also had the comfort of knowing there were two ways in which they were going to see Jesus. Either it was through their death, which some of them went to these crazy deaths proclaiming Jesus risen. But I think some of them also knew that whether we died or whether the trumpet sounded, we were going to be united with Jesus. Well, as the weeks and months and years would go on, and now centuries that have gone on, we don't hear a whole lot about the trumpet. And we don't think a whole lot about the trumpet. I don't think a whole lot about the trumpet. That's why when Pete said, if the trumpet sounded, 98% of the people would be separated from Jesus, it was like somebody hit me in the stomach. And as I told you last week, it, it forced me to begin thinking about who are my 98%. If I was to play a video in my home or a video at my work or a video in my school or, or in my community, who would be those 98% of the faces that if the trumpet was to blow, they would be separated from Jesus? And I went into great detail to talk about last week of what separation from Jesus means. And there's an old way that they used to talk about it, which we don't talk a lot about in church. It's called hell. And, and it just has a lot of tough connotations and descriptions to it. But I won't even go into those descriptions. But what I spent some time last week talking about is that this is a place that's going to be void of love. It's going to be void of Christ's love. And this side of heaven, even though we're separated by this great distance, we still get to experience his love. Um, we see it in the creation. We see it in miracles that happen right before our eyes. We see it in new life that people get blessed with. We see this miracle of life every single day, and, and we get to experience, whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, everything that's good is coming from him. 
And so just imagine what that separation looks like when we're separated from that love. And I can't imagine it. And that's what's been stirring me the last couple months and why I felt it was compelling for me to want to share with you just what's been on my heart. And so that trumpet sound, it's all over scripture. And so we don't have time to spend a lot of time in it, but it's going to be a significant sound. It's going to be a significant noise that the whole earth will know something is not normal today than it was yesterday. And Christ will return. And so let me read for you just one of those accounts that I read for you last week. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians. And it's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. But you don't, you don't have to go there. I'll just read it for you if you want to mark it later. But I'm telling you, if you want to just Google trumpet sound verses, you'll find plenty of them to remind you that this is going to be a real moment in time. So in verse 16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend, descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I don't think about the trumpet sound that much. We had um, a couple of memorial services in here this weekend. And so there's families right now that know death is real. And they know their loved ones have either in the presence of the Lord or not in the presence of the Lord today. I'm faced with death a little bit more than I am the trumpet sound. In fact, I'm faced with it fairly regularly around here. And so it forces me to think about, well, maybe my death is going to come first. And as a 53-year-old, I'm starting to think, well, the law of averages says maybe 80-something. And so I know I've got a certain amount of time. And some of you have a little bit more time than others. But I want to let you know that one might happen before the other, the trumpet sound. And we always tend to think there's more time, that, that, that we can continue to process who Jesus is, what he created, whether he's real, whether he really promised to do what he said he'd do and take away my sin, give me peace. But when that trumpet sounds, one thing's for sure, there's going to be separation. And as I said, the separation is going to be void of Christ's love. And does that stir up inside of you any type of emotion. I think it does. I know it does with me because I just don't think about it that often. And so I force you to kind of take a moment in time and just think about those videos of your world. So the videos of your family, the family reunion perhaps, and you look around the table and you wonder, should the trumpet sound, how many people would be separated from the Lord? Or perhaps it's in your work. You see a video in your office and you're just wondering, okay, What's the 98% or school or just in your community? What would it look like should the trumpet sound blow? And does that cause you to have any sense of urgency uh, to want to elevate your witness a little bit? Well, the good news is, is we know the answer. We, we have this hope. We have this hope in a future as I've spoken about and prayed for. I, I love it when Peter is faced with kind of a hard message and I'm just going to brace you with it. This is a little bit of a harder message. It's not one we preach a whole lot. You know, in the olden days, I shared with you last week, is that we used to preach hellfire and brimstone a lot because that caused people to move very quickly. I don't want that, so I'll take this. And I'm not sure that was the best way to sell people on Jesus. 
And so we've swung a little bit harder the other way to where we have this grace side where we receive this free gift of grace, which is 100% true. But sometimes we've looked at it as just simply a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, Jesus will always forgive me, and I don't have to worry about it. Nothing has to change with me. I just have got my little card right here, and that's going to get me into heaven. And that might be, but it also says in Matthew, not all who call me Lord will enter the kingdom. And so there's a little bit of tension in this passage today. There's a little bit of tension. I can feel it in this room that there will be a moment in which a choice is made in which we're going to be with Jesus or not be with Jesus. And when these hard words were taught to the disciples, those who followed Jesus beyond his closest circle, some of them left. Some of them walked away from his preaching. And then he turned to his disciples, those closest to him, and he says, well, what are you going to do? And there's this great passage, it's in John chapter 6, where Peter turns to Jesus and he goes, after he just asked him this question, what are you going to do? He said, we got nothing to do. We've sold everything. We've, 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 we've cashed in all our chips. We're following you. And we're following you because you hold the words to eternal life. And so this Jesus said that, that we claim to believe holds the words to eternal life. And as we as Christians, we know whether we have the trumpet sound or not, those of us who know Jesus are experiencing the eternal life now. And so there's all these blessings that we get to experience now, that love that I mentioned, we get to experience that to a great degree now, but oh boy, there's a greater day coming when we get to experience even more of that love. And this is typically where the preacher says, okay, I'm going to announce an evangelism plan, witnessing plan. I need everybody to line up over here. We're going to do 27 things starting tomorrow where we're going to start witnessing to our neighbors. We're going to yell at people and tell them they're going to hell. No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) We're going to figure out some way to weave into my conversation at work tomorrow and say, hey, if you were to die today, are you sure you don't? No, we're not going to do that. I think we're going to roll into a scripture here that is such an important reminder that when we get into the busyness or perhaps we've forgotten a few things or we're not, we're being reminded that God's truth is truth and that what he says will happen. Um, Sometimes it's at these moments in which we ought to just stop, take a step back and Paul reminds us about something we're going to do. So I'm not kicking off Save the Souls 2020 tour today. We're going to do something much simpler to that. And the context in which we're going to talk a little bit this morning with the little bit of time we have left is a passage from 1 Timothy. So if you want to start turning there, it's near the back of the Bible. And so if you go through Paul's epistles, you'll come through uh, Thessalonians. You're getting close, but find 1 Timothy and kind of put your hand right there. And we're going to look at chapter 2 in just a second. But to give you the context of this passage... Timothy is a young protege of Paul that Paul has trained up and Paul has left. Now, Paul was a guy who went around, uh, initially the first part of his life was killing Christians. And then all of a sudden, God does something miraculous with him. On a road to Damascus, he speaks to him and he blinds him. But just before he blinds him, he allows him, Paul, to see the risen Christ. And his life has changed forever. And at that moment, he begins preaching the gospel around the entire Mediterranean, Africa, Turkey. And he starts churches. And he starts these churches with a simple message. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ died. And Jesus rose from the dead. And I saw him with my own eyes. And he has changed my life dramatically. 
I now love people that I couldn't love before. And I want everyone to know that because everyone at some point in time in their life is thinking about the future, is thinking about what happens when I die? Is there meaning and purpose in life? And we have the answer. And Paul went around starting these churches. And this particular church was in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is kind of a cool town in Turkey where they were not too different than us. Real estate was going good. Development was going good. There was a lot of busyness. There was a lot of hustle and bustle. This was a metropolis. This was a major uh, city where a lot of activity was going on. And that's where Paul started this church. But within all that activity, much like us, we get a little bit busy and we start thinking about different things. And what this particular church began thinking about was something different than Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead. They began adding things to the gospel. They would later begin, as the word would say, accumulating teaching that would satisfy their ears, which is a, a fancy way of saying, I like this philosophy, or I like that philosophy, or I think that salvation message works, or I like this way to get to heaven versus this way, and I don't know if I'm necessarily a sinner because I'm doing a bunch of good things, and I'm certainly better than that person. Well, Paul knew that that was the gospel. That wasn't the gospel he had started that church with. So he wrote this letter back to Timothy and said, Hey, I want to reorient you. Your faith is in Christ alone. It's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. And here's what's happening within your church. Is you're beginning to be crippled. You're beginning to die from the inside out and you don't even know it. This is a town that I saw... Um, a few months ago when I got to go over into that area and, and it is now an archaeological site. There is no church in Ephesus anymore. And what I'm reminded of is this church, this physical building. And I tell this story all the time. I think old people like to tell stories so it reminds young people where we came from. This church was dead. This church began to follow its own doctrine, began to follow its own rituals, began to be devoted to itself. It had lost sight of the gospel. And I'm not speaking anything that the Episcopal Diocese would counter me with. They came to me on the day in which we handed over the keys to this place, and they said, don't do what we did. We lost sight of the community. We lost sight of the lost. We lost sight of those who maybe don't look the way we look. We lost sight of the ones who don't speak necessarily the way we speak. We, we lost sight of those who necessarily don't believe what we believe. We lost sight of the community. And slowly, this crippled church dwindled down to about 20 people. And finally, the diocese said, we're putting out such a bad message we're going to close. And so this church is a reminder of what can happen when we lose sight of what Paul is about to teach us here in 1 Timothy. So I'm going to read for you the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And then coming out of that, I'm going to have a suggestion that I'd like to see us start doing as a church amidst, amongst all of our busyness and activity. So I've got it up on the screen here, but if you've got your Bibles or apps open, apps, isn't that a cool, you got apps for that, Bible apps? You can go to that, but I'm going to read for you this passage of Scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, this is Paul speaking to Timothy at this church that's gotten a little off track with regards to the gospel. He says, I urge, 
Then first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I, Paul, was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. What's fascinating about this section of scripture is it begins with prayer in verse 1 and it ends in prayer in verse 8. And then there's the reminder in the middle. And I'm going to touch upon just a little bit in the middle, but I want to speak to the beginning and the end a little bit today. So again, it opens up with prayer. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But notice that it says, I want prayers to be made for all people. What's fascinating about that all people, and it goes to spell out kings and authorities. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, it's very easy to pray for those I love. Sometimes. But I'm challenged even sometimes to pray for those I love. But what's even harder for me is to pray for those that are hard to love. Pray for those that maybe hurt me, let me down, disappointed me. But he's saying, I want you to pray for all people. And then he goes on to spell out for this particular culture what all people look like. Because at this point in time, Christians are still being kind of killed by Nero, a Roman emperor who doesn't like Christians. And so they're saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to pray for Nero? He said, yeah, I want you to pray for Nero. You want to pray for him so that he knows me. I want you to pray for him so that he, he maybe enacts some rules and laws that allow you to live peaceful and quiet lives. But I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to pray for those that are hard to love. Then he goes on because this is why I want you to pray. I want you to pray because I want all people to be saved. I want all people to grow in their knowledge of me. And so I want you to pray to that end. He then goes to kind of remind them that it was the gospel. The reason you're doing this is because Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead. You have an intermediary. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So he reminds them that it's the faith alone and Christ alone. And I love how he says, for those of you who are attorneys in the room, he says, I'm a witness. I'm an eyewitness to that risen Jesus. And so you can know that I'm telling the truth. And now I'm a faithful teacher. And then finally he calls out, I want everyone to pray. I want everyone to pray lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. Like I said, this isn't Save the Souls Tour where I'm going to give you 24 things we're going to start doing tomorrow. But I'm going to suggest we start doing this. And it's what he begins and ends this passage in. And it's in prayer. When things are crazy, when things get out of hand, when you get busy, when you start to get distracted, things slap you in the face. Generally, we take a step back and we begin to pray. 
And so that's what this message is hopefully doing to all of us today. It did for me when I heard those words a couple months ago about the number of people that would be separated. I began to pray for people differently. And so notice in verse 1, he creates a sense of urgency. In fact, he says the word urge. It's not a commandment. It's this personal plea that he's, from the depths of his heart, he's urging us to do this. And I want you to do this first of all. I don't want you to go start yelling at people on the street. I don't want you to start telling your testimony to everybody. I just want you, first of all, to do this. It's the first thing we must prioritize in any type of evangelistic effort is prayer. And it's the one thing all of us can do. And it's the one thing that we neglect to do. And I am chief among that. But Paul is saying, I urge you, I want you to do this first. And then verse 1 continues with kind of the ingredients of that prayer. And there's four different synonyms that he's using. Three and then really one that kind of supports the other three. But petitions. I imagine this very first prayer, you know what a petition is. It's when you're trying to get something added to or there's a need in the community. And so we get signatures on that. When we look out over our humanity, when we look out over our homes, those family unions, our work, our schools and stuff, and we can see the lostness, we can see the 98%, I don't know about you, but I get emotional. And I begin to cry out immediately. And so that's what we're doing. We are laying these petitions before the Lord because we know our families and friends are in need of the salvation, need of the knowledge of Christ. And so their first ingredient is this petition, which is a very emotional prayer. And then the second word he uses is the word prayer. And sometimes we forget prayer in this context. It's only used in reference to God. It's not just I pray to whoever. It's I'm praying to God. And this is an act of worship that we're doing in which we're entering into the throne room of grace. We're entering into the throne room of our king and our creator. And so now our prayer becomes an act of worship towards the Lord. And, and our hope here is not that we get to say, look at what I've done in this person's life. But the ultimate, home through, the ultimate hope through this act of worship is we're able to say, look at what God has done through this person's life. And so prayer. The third ingredient is an intercession. Now this is where it really gets personal. And we're going to intercede today, in fact, as I lead you in a time of really getting personal. This is where you get involved in the people's lives. In a lot of cases, we know these folks intimately. For me, it's my brother John, my brother Jim, and my brother Clarence. I know them well. They, they know where I stand. They know the type of work that I do. They've heard me from time to time enter into conversations with them. And yet, sometimes I just sit back and go, okay, well, I've done my work. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely true. I'm not going to change their hearts. It will be God himself through the Holy Spirit. But here's what I've neglected to do. I've kind of said, well, I've, I've told them everything I can tell them. And now I've neglected to pray for them and pray in a way that I know in a petition that they need something. So in these getting personal, it's where we get to our knees. It's where we're pleading this case on behalf of these brothers. 
that Christ would make himself known to them. This is not a cold prayer. This is where the public defender sees somebody on trial and you're defending their lives before the Lord. So we're interceding on their behalf. And then the last ingredient that kind of fills that prayer is a prayer that's filled with thanksgiving. It's a gratitude prayer because this side of heaven, we are reminded that there is evil, there's sin, there is stuff that's going to happen. And if that was the end of the story, this would not be a very pleasant life. Other than a few highs, a few lows, it would be very pleasant living. But we are thankful because not only has God put air in our lungs, but God has given us an answer to sin. God has given us an answer to why someone died maybe a little bit too early. God has given us an answer to cancer. God has given us an answer to that stirring that I have in my soul of, is there more to this life than simply living and dying? God has provided an answer through Jesus Christ and His Son that He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me. And I'm going to seal that because I rose from the dead. I have conquered death. And so we are thankful that we have this privilege of being able to go to the Lord. And we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that we hold the keys to a hope and a future. And it lies in Jesus. So why are we to pray this way? Look at verse 4. It's so that everyone might be saved and come to the knowledge of God. You know, Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave this earth, told his disciples, I want you to take my story to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, all the way to the outer ends of the earth, even North Phoenix. I want you to be my witnesses about what has happened here in Jerusalem on that Easter morning. So now the job comes to us. And again, it would be easy to give us a list of things to do. But I think what Paul is urging us to do today is to simply just begin praying. As I said, sometimes it's harder to pray for those that we don't love than it is for the ones we do love. But what I find, if you're anything like me, sometimes it's just hard to pray this way. And so Paul's urging us to do that because there's this trumpet sound may occur this afternoon. And so to kind of create a sense of urgency for us in the room, I want to share a little bit of a story. Now, I've been traveling a little bit lately, and I've been going in and out of airports. And what I've noticed is predominantly there's two kinds of people that go to airports. There's those that calculate the time that it takes from their home to get to the airport. There's time that focus in on a, a time in which it's going to take to get through security, and then a time in which to get to their gate. And then they add a significant amount of time to that so that they can get to their gate, worst case, an hour before the flight, best case, eight hours before the flight. <laughs> There's a second type of person who does the same type of calculation. How long is it going to take me to get from my house to the airport? How long is it going to take me to get through security? And then how long is it going to take me to get to the gate? And they add about seven minutes to that time. Because <laughs> their hope and their prayer is that they come skating into the gate about the time they say, looking for passenger Holman, passenger Holman. And so, and if God is like he is and only can do, sometimes he puts those two people together and they marry each other. 
I know, right there. So before Jill and I got married, we, we decided we were going to go visit some um, relatives in Colorado, and we traveled over to Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know if you know, Thanksgiving is a crazy weekend for travel. And so I probably lean a little bit more on the side of, I want to make sure I'm there in plenty of time. Let's just say the Lord was great to put me with someone who's a little less stringent on time. And so we get to the airport in a major heated fight about the time the door is just just about closing and we get onto the plane. And by God's grace, one of us had an aisle seat and one of us had a window seat and there was nobody between us. So we just had this nice space that was just silent for about two hours. And so I share all that to share with you this, is sitting at the airport recently, nice and comfortable, just waiting to board the plane. I've seen people, those people frantically running through the airport trying to make it on time. Now, there could be a variety of reasons. Maybe they're that person that goes, ah, I can cut it close. But maybe there's, you know, uh, planes have changed or there's been life circumstances that have occurred that have caused them to have to rush to get to the gate. But this is what I've seen a few times, is when they call that final boarding notice, they close the door. And when they close the door, they don't open it. And I've seen people get to the door it's closed, and they're very upset. They're mad, they're angry, they're starting to tell stories about how I'm supposed to get here, or I'm supposed to go there, or I'm going to catch this flight, or I'm supposed to be at this party, a wedding, whatever it might be, and they say, sorry, the door's closed. And yet they look out the window, and they can still see the plane there, yet the door's closed. Now, the good news is, in the airline story, they'll probably rebook you on another flight. The tougher news is in the story of our Christian walk and the story of our creation, the story of our truth is when that door closes, when the trumpet sound blows, the door is not opening again. And at that moment, every human being will come face to face with Jesus, those who know him and those that don't know him. And when Pastor Pete, said those words two months ago, it's radically changed what I think about and the way I look at people. Because I used to think death was going to come before a trumpet sound because I didn't think about the trumpet sound that much. But then I was reminded that that trumpet could blow this afternoon. And so I'm thinking about being at the airport. You know, I'm the guy sitting there kind of just biding my time waiting And I can see these people frantically trying to get to the gate. And so I think to myself, is there anything I can do to help them? Can I go back to security and help them put all that stuff back in their bag or uh, carry bags for them to get to the gate? That's what I began to think about on these last few trips, is how can I help people get to their gate on time so that the door doesn't close? And that's where evangelism comes in. And we talk about all these things you can do. But I looked at this passage in 1 Timothy And it said, hey, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray earnestly with petitions where you're on your knees pleading for the Lord to open up the heart of those so the Lord can meet them. Not Rick meet them, but the Lord would meet them. And so my thoughts turn to you and my thoughts turn 
to this message. And I thought, what would it look like if we began to pray that way? What would it look like if as part of our prayer life, we began to really pray for those souls that we know that are part of that 98%? Part of the ones we really love and part of those that might be a little bit harder to love. What if we were to earnestly begin praying for them? And earnestly, in a sense, it doesn't have to be a really complicated prayer. It can just be something simple as, Lord, soften their heart to your gospel. Use me, perhaps, to share my story with them. But just to begin to pray. Our average attendance right now is between about 450 and 500 people. And I'm just wondering what that would look like of adults who would just begin to pray that way. Just began to pray a simple prayer that the Lord would soften their hearts. What would that look like a year from now or two years from now or five years from now? What would it look like on the day the trumpet sounded? When that person looks back at you and say, I can't believe you prayed for me. And so this is a tough message. It's a tough message, but it's not a message without hope. Because the great news about Christianity is it's just Christ, Christ risen. That's all we believe. And then he does all this other incredible work in us that causes us to love others in a radical way. And I think what we can do today is begin that process of loving others in a radical way by praying for them in an earnest way, interceding on their behalf because we know of their great need and we have the answer in the gospel. In your bulletins, um, we stuffed this sheet of paper in there. And there's a couple things about this sheet of paper. One, you're going to know that your pastor is very thrifty. Because those of you who are here a few weeks ago notice that we use these when Pastor Jamie led us through a message of celebration where he blew horns and trumpets about what God has done. And I thought, you know what? We ought to reuse these. We have some extra ones. And I want us to use this piece of paper to celebrate what God is about to do. And what he's about to do is he's going to see the names that you write on there. Now, I don't want you to write a hundred names. I want you to write one or two names of people that you love. People that it would break your heart for them to miss the plane. And I want you to think of one or two people that are a little bit harder to love. And I want you to write their names on there as well. And what we're going to do is my buddy Ethan is going to lead us in a sweet hymn, old hymn, um, that's going to just help our time together. And we're going to take a few minutes in the quietness, a little bit of music, and we're going to write those names down. And then what I want you to do is I want you to roll this paper up. And we have these prayer walls that sometimes we use, and we're going to use them today. And what I want you to do is I want you to place that prayer in the wall. And, and not so it just is a one time you forget about it, but for you here today, this wall and that wall are going to be very important reminders. When you come in here, you're going to know the names of who are in there. You're going to remember these names when you go home too. But I want you to pray. But this is going to be a place in which you come to each and every week and you're going to see these walls and I want you to pray. And they either pray for the names that you know or the names that you don't know that are in those walls because it's somebody that somebody loves very much. 
And so I want you to pray that the Lord will open their heart to the gospel. You know, the reason this is such a burden to me is maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I didn't come to this line of work as a young guy. I've, I've been, let's see, it'll be eight years in January that I will have been actually on staff with the church. And prior to that time, I lived a life that wasn't overly evil, but it wasn't overly for the Lord either. But when the Lord captured my heart and he said, Rick, who are you living for? Are you living for you or are you living for me? It changed my life radically. And then I realized my finish line is a lot closer than it was. And so I don't have a whole lot of time left. But then when I realized the trumpet sound might come before that day, it kind of sped up my sense of urgency. And the, the tough news is it now has been presented to you. So Ethan, lead us in a song. And I want you to do this in a little bit of an orderly fashion because there's too many in the room to just randomly go up these walls. We'll have a look like salmon fighting the, uh, the river. So here's what I want you to do. Once you've written those names, you don't have to move quickly. Spend a little bit of time in prayer. But when you're ready, I want you to come up the center aisles, center aisle, and then out to the walls. You can place them in the wall and then go back down the side wall. And once we've done that, we've all kind of got back into our places, I'll come up and I'll close our time together. So let me pray for us before we move. Lord, we are grateful for this message. Lord, it's a message we don't hear a whole lot. But Lord, it's your truth. And Lord, it's hard to hear. But Lord, we're grateful for your truth because it ultimately tells us how much you love us and how much you desire us to be with you. And so, Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that this message has done nothing but cause us to love you more and to want to love others more. And so our act of obedience today is to pray, to simply pray. Pray for these on this paper and, and pray for those in our lives that don't know you, that are in tremendous need of life with you. And so, Lord, this morning, we intercede on their behalf. Lift these names up to you and ask simply that you would soften their hearts. You would open their hearts to receive this good news that we have, that there's a hope and a future for them. And so, Lord, may this be a sweet time of worship because we are thankful people. We are thankful that you have given us the gospel that has allowed us to truly find eternal life today. And Lord, maybe there's those in this room today that have never experienced that. They've wandered. They're looking for that hope in a future. They perhaps have just seen your faith or seen their faith falter. Lord, I pray it would be bolstered today or perhaps even birthed today. And that this would be the day in which they say, Jesus, I know you're real. And so, Lord, thank you for this time. And, and we pray that it is a, a, a time of a, a living sacrifice, that we, we're humbly giving these names to you and ask that you would change hearts. So, Lord, do a good work in our midst here. And I thank you for the faithfulness of these people. In Jesus' name, amen.